Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I am your host, Lauren Falk, and I am joined today by Steve Bodie. Steve Bodie is a man who wears many hats, which we will discuss shortly. But today we are talking with Steve Bodie, U.S. Soccer Scout. Steve is a Milwaukee area native with a lot of family and educational roots in the area. So for those of you local listeners, you'll uh, appreciate his background there. I really think that no matter what sport you play, Steve offers some great insight from the perspective of a scout and as a coach, as you'll learn, not only on how to get noticed, but things you can do to help develop yourself as a person and as a player. So take note and let's get started. So first of all, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. Thanks for having me, Lauren. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So to start off, full disclosure, Steve and I have known each other for a long time now. I think it might be 12 years. What was your first year at Marquette? Eight? 2008. Yeah, so 12 years. 12 years. So decade right. plus we've known each other. So funny story. Um, the first time I had actually ever seen Steve Bodie in person was at the UWM Marquette soccer game playing for the Milwaukee cup. And I'm pretty sure you scored a header goal and I'm pretty sure your head was shaved and you had a massive beard. And I remember you celebrating maybe near our sideline. <laughs> I vaguely remember something like that. Something, something along like those that. lines. Yeah. So yeah. then fast yeah. forward a few months later. So that's the first time I've ever seen Steve Bodie in person. Fast forward a few months later. And there's this clean cut guy in khaki chino pants, polo, and a fleece jacket on, which for all of our listeners who go to Marquette High will appreciate that that is the general apparel that is worn in school. So here I'm thinking, oh, we have a Marquette High kid that's a recruit. I should go meet him and go say hello. This is when I was an athletic trainer for men's soccer at Marquette. So I go down. He's talking to our coach, Stan Anderson. They're sitting in the area where they usually chat with our recruits. And I go down and go, oh, hi. You know, my name's Lauren. I'm the athletic trainer for men's soccer. And, and I said, oh, you know, what's your name? Where do you go to school? And the coach, Stan, looks at me and he goes, uh, Lauren, this is uh, Steve Bodie. He's interviewing for our assistant coach position. And I go, oh, <laughs> Oh, that was classic. That so was I classic. mistake you as a recruit instead of interviewing for the position. So you just had that young well, look about you that, you know, it's believable. Absolutely. Well, and I wasn't too far from the player's age. So it, yeah. it's, um, you know, I think I was 23 at the time. So I, yeah. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there. And I will say too, Lauren, that my, my hairstyle at Marquette High wasn't much better than my hairstyle <laughs> in college. So, you know, it, it, it's, it, I'll just add that in. Yeah, absolutely. So I alluded to your playing days, uh, clearly. So you were what position at UWM? Center back. Yeah, the enforcer. And so outside of crazy haircuts and beards and all that stuff, why don't you uh, walk us through just a little bit of like your playing days, your playing career, because we have a lot of kids from the area that, listen in that played for some of these clubs and places where you went from, you know, kind of your mid age up through college and beyond. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, to start, obviously local, you know, born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and, um, you know, came through the ranks here. I uh, grew up in, in Franklin, uh, more on the South side of Wisconsin and the, the closest club to me at the time where my parents uh, lived was Croatian Eagles. So I grew up and I, I played for them starting at eight years old and 
Um, and then, and then at 12, 13 years old, moved to, to a club called Parkland soccer club, another small club, South side kind of greenfield area, um, and played for them. Um, and th- those are the two main clubs that I, I grew up playing for. I think it's important to know too, that I was, I was one of these players that it wasn't just like soccer, soccer, soccer all the time. Mm-hmm. I was playing baseball, I was playing basketball. I was playing street hockey. I was doing, you know, very much, you know, multi-sport, you know, my, my parents driving me all over the place to play, play a lot of different sports growing up um, and, and enjoyed a lot of them. And then of course, like, as I kind of got closer uh, to high school age and then in high school uh, started playing, you know, more soccer specifically, but even played a year of basketball as well in high school. Um, So then went, went to market high and, and played four years there. Yeah, and then um, and then after that, UWM as we talked about, and mm-hmm. and four years there, and 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 decided to to stay local and and really enjoyed playing, um, you know, locally here and and getting my family to come see me play and and friends and and that kinds of things, you know, were were really special times when I think about my times at, at UWM, and then um, as you just talked about. Marquette, you know, and, and, uh, got an opportunity to, to coach there at a young age. Um, did get drafted by Chicago fire after my time at, at UWM. And, and, you know, it was one of those that I just listened to the podcast with Charlie line, you know, it, it made me think about those times of getting drafted in the supplemental draft and then going in and, and thinking, man, I am the load, lowest man here trying to, <laughs> trying to earn my way to, to a contract. And at the time, probably about 10 years earlier than Charlie, uh, these developmental contracts of $12,000 a year. And yeah. um, I, I remember I, I went into training camp with Chicago fire and, you know, they, they basically, I got injured and I basically got cut. They called me back like a week later and said, Hey, we'd love for you to come down and play in reserve league games with the fire, we'll pay you 200 bucks a game. So I actually, when I was at Marquette, I don't know if yeah, you went down. I was, I was going down and, and doing uh, some of these reserve league games. So it, it helped me to be able to kind of stay in, in, in the mix and, and have fun and continue to play yeah. um, while I was coaching. And, and so that's really, you know, my, my story um, growing up from, from a soccer standpoint here in, in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin. So what, what got you into coaching? What made you want to take that next step? I think the main thing is, you know, you, you think about coaches that you had um, and the impact they had on you growing up. You know, I, I feel like for me, um, you know, I was always, I kind of like tried to pride myself on almost being a coach on the field and that like I, I looked at the game and I tried to look at the game in an analytical way and how can I get the best out of the, my teammates and the people around me? Um, you know, I, I, I was more of a vocal like leader on the field and, and playing center back. Like you mentioned, even just like, you know, being back behind, you know, go, not all the way back goalkeeper, but in front and being able to see the whole field. And, and, and so I, I tried to, you know, even as a player, think about what would I do if I was in the coach's position? Um, and, and how can I be an extension to the coaching staff on the field, which I was oftentimes asked to be, um, as a leader or a captain on the field. So I, I kind of had it in my mind that that was something that I would like to do. Um, I knew I wanted to work in athletics, you know, what I was going to do in athletics, wasn't sure, um, necessarily in college, but those are the things that drew me to coaching that one-on-one interaction how can I make a difference in this player both on the field but then off the field as well absolutely and when you first got started you were actually working on your master's degree too right correct correct yeah um yeah my first three years at Marquette I was you know on the bus rides you know I was hitting the books just like our players were and Um, I can remember we, we were, you were sitting behind me and we, you know, what are you reading, Bodie? You know, what, what, you know, it was, it was a psychology book or something yeah. in educational leadership and, and we would trade stories and, and, uh, you know, so yeah, yeah I, I mean, finished finished my master's. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You had just finished too. So, 
Um, yeah. So, so for the first three years, I was doing that part-time as I was coaching full-time and, and it was a 36 credit program total. So I ended up doing 12 credits a year and just kept plugging away and, um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. And, and it was a good, you know, balance of, I was learning a lot, um, from like an educational leadership standpoint, and then able to try to apply those things that I was learning in the coaching realm. Yeah. Um, trial and error made probably more mistakes than, <laughs> than, uh, you know, uh, made headway with players, but, um, but it was, it was, it was a really enjoyable time and I, a, a great time of growing and learning for sure. Yeah. So I, I remember kind of with going through your master's, you had actually considered the idea of maybe like academic advising coming mm-hmm. off of that, you know, what kind of spurred that? And yeah. yeah, to be honest with you, I think what spurred that was my academic advisor in college. Um, he was uh, a guy by the name of Tom Volman. And, <laughs> legend, and he was, and yeah, he's a legend. I mean, this guy was a cool dude, you know, <laughs> he I mean, and it's funny because when you think about it, like these are the, these are the people in your life that, you know, they, they leave impacts and imprints on your life. And, and Tom made an impact on me. And, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe I was more drawn to Tom than the actual job of academic advisor, but, but he helped me to be able to say, Hey, this is what a career in, you know, in athletics and working with student athletes looks like. Yeah. Um, and I was really drawn to him and I, I really, I really enjoyed him. And I remember stopping in his office and we would talk about academics, but then we'd also talk about sports and life. Yeah. Um, so I just liked that, that, you know, uh, feel of a job as I'm 19, 20, 21 years old, trying to figure out what, what do I do? What do I want to do the rest of my life? Yeah. Um, I think as I went on in, in the coaching realm and then doing my graduate degree, you know, I, I, I found myself, you know, a lot of the things that I love about academic advising and, and working more on the administrative side of things in, in higher education, I'm doing in coaching as well, yeah, especially absolutely. coaching in a, in, in a coaching, uh, in a college coaching realm. Yeah. So that became more clear to me as I went along. And I think that's part of the reason why I've said, man, I want to stick with this coaching thing. Yeah, you took that skill set and just applied it to your practice as a coach. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Much like uh, Charlie alluded to in his podcast, the importance of those people, your coach, your academic advisor is very big in a player's life. And like you said, I think, you know, and we have learned working in athletics and academics and stuff like that, that, you know, a kid's got to do them both in order to be an athlete on the field. You know, because if they're not passing their classes, they're not playing on the field anyways. So a lot of that supportive role that whether you're a coach or an actual academic advisor, anything you can do to really support your athletes to be successful in the classroom allows for them to continue to be successful in the field. You know, so it sounds like you've taken that idea and just, you know, grown your practice as a coach. Absolutely. So you have quite the coaching pedigree, actually, (laughs) now that we look back over these last 12 years. So why don't you uh, take our listeners through where you've been and what you've done? Yeah, I mean, these last five years, I've I've been probably pretty hard to track and and figure out where where is he now and what's going on. And and, um, it's like, where's Waldo? Where's Steve? Yeah, right, right. You know, it's, it's interesting when I look back on it the decision to, to leave Marquette University at the time, um, a little over five years ago now, I just really felt like um, I needed to, um, in order to continue to grow and advance as a coach and, and as a person, as a leader, I really felt like I needed to, to move on and, and take on a different opportunity. Um, and, and I look back on that decision and I think, you know, maybe it was one of the best decisions I made. Now, my family might say, hmm, I don't know, you know, but, but, and of course that whole balance of wearing a lot of hats, dad is being one of them too, right? Which makes it a little bit different maybe from someone else. Um, but, you know, I look at the last five and a half years and I've grown so much um, from the different experiences I've, I've gone through. Mainly assistant coach in college is, is what I've, I've done, whether it be a Marquette um, for seven and a half years, 2008 to 
2015 and then moved on and I, and we moved out to Providence, Rhode Island. And I was at Brown university. Um, great experience. Cause it's so different, you know, different part of the country being in new England in the Ivy league, which is much different from what I was used to. Yeah. Um, both, you know, UWM playing, um, Marquette coaching big East, totally different, learned a lot there. Um, was a head coach in um, for USL two team down in Chicago um, and got to learn a lot. Now what's it like to, to be a head coach and have assistant coaches and what's the dynamic. I've been an assistant coach in college for a long time. Now I'm a head coach. How does that change, you know, my thought process and, and grew a, a ton from that. And I was coaching college age players um, during that experience. And then, um, and then Loyola Chicago back, back in the, this past year um, where I had a great experience down there as well. Uh, a little bit similar to Marquette, right. In terms of uh, educational, um, you know, institution. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but was, was another great experience. And we, we won our conference, went to the NCAA, which was, just, just a, we had a really fun group to coach and I learned a lot from working with that group. And then obviously most recently back at Marquette on the women's side, um, you know, so that, that's kind of within the last five and a half years, I feel like I've grown so much uh, and I've been thankful that I've had these opportunities. And I think now to your question as well about U.S. soccer and the scouting side of things, I've been doing that all along. Um, I've been doing that both in Wisconsin and then out in New England. And, and really, that's something that they, they call me. And when my services are needed, they say, go scout this game. And we want you to either scout these teams or look at the, this specific player. And then I go and, and I do it. And that's kind of how that works. Hmm. Very interesting. So backing up just a little bit, uh, talking about coaching for a little bit, just so people can maybe understand. Um, I mean, as you said, like you're learning so much every time you're at a different institution, you learn from the players, you learn from the staff around you and then flipping the coin and now being a head coach, you realize how much of a challenge that is. You know, now you're managing coaches and players, you know, coaching is no easy feat. You know, I really think people think sometimes that it's like, Oh, I put my blend together for the day and I'm put my boots on and now I'm ready to roll. Like there's so much more that goes into it. And there's actually a very deep credentialing process and licensure process for it too. maybe give our listeners a little bit of perspective of what it takes to kind of rise to those levels that you have. And, you know, the preparation that you actually have to do to get to those levels. Yeah. You know, one of the things about being a coach is (laughs) planning, you know, planning is so important. Um, one of the buzzwords that you hear, I think more and more, especially within the last five years is this concept of periodization. Um, and everyone's like periodization. What, you know, what is that? You know, mm-hmm. um, at the end of the day, it's planning, it's planning. Um, yeah. there's a lot that goes into periodization, whether you're talking about physical periodization, um, or you're talking about, uh, like a tactical periodization with your team at the end of the day, it's planning, you know, having a plan, um, for your team, big picture, but also like small picture as in the next day, what are we doing in practice? Um, how am I individually working with uh, each player to make sure they're growing? Um, it's all planning, you know, and, um, that's one of the things that I feel like I've, I've grown a lot in, um, especially over the last five years, I would say is that concept of, as a coach, you gotta be prepared and you gotta plan. Um, and, and when, when you don't have a plan, your players can tell, you know, oh, yeah. they, they know the difference, you know, they know the difference and they can call you out. They're smart, you know, especially higher level players that are like, hmm, they, they're way want to grow. They want to be challenged in each of the sessions or, you know, if you're doing a film session or you're doing a team like bonding or, or even like chemistry type of session they want to learn and grow so they can tell if you're prepared or, or if you're not. So I think that's, that's one of the big things there. Um, you know, I, I, we can talk about the licensing too. And, you know, I hear it's pretty intense uh, actually the weeks that you yeah. guys go into these licensure training and testing timeframes. Yeah. It's actually pretty intense. 
It is. It is. And it's grown quite a bit over the years and become even more like time extensive. Um, you know, I, I would say like without getting too deep into it, there's kind of two main organizations in the U.S., um, that offer like coaching licenses and education. That's like the United Coaches. Uh, it used to be called NSCAA, but now it's called the United Coaches Association um, uh, or United Soccer Coaches Association. And then um, USSF, which is U.S. Soccer's form of the coaching education. Those are the two main kind of like governing bodies, and they both offer um, coaching education licenses. Um, and they both do a great job of, of helping you grow and learn. And some of them are in person. Some of them are online. Um, I've done a little bit of both. Um, most recently did the, what U.S. soccer is called, uh, the A senior license. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was very intense. That was very intense. It took over six months to do. Um, they have three times where you actually go for a week, you're going away and you spend a week in classroom on the field and then go back. And it's sort of a developmental period where you're going back and working with your team and trying to apply all the concepts that you learn. You have to film training sessions and then send them in. You have a mentor coach. Um, So that, that that was very time extensive, but I learned a lot, really, really learned a lot in that. Um, so those are the two main ones in the U.S. And then there's more even when you go like talk right. overseas, like UEFA, um, UEFA Pro License, and they have a whole governing body as well that, um, that, that you know, fields coaching education. So it is, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's not that you just pull out of bed and decide this was your job. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Growth related process. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, some coaches to each their own, you know, (laughs) but there are, once you get to certain levels, there are certain expectations of a certain level of licensure in order to coach at that level. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And that's becoming more streamlined, especially if you look at pro leagues, if you're talking about either on the men's and women's side, you know, you have to have a certain license to be able to coach at certain levels, even in, in some of the youth uh, leagues, um, across the country. So yeah, that is becoming more and more the norm, which is good. You know, I think it's one of those things. It's, it's a slippery slope where it's, it's not like it makes you a good coach. If you got a certain license, yeah, level, yeah. right. Just cause right? you think there doesn't mean. Exactly. No. Exactly. Right. But I think what it does do is it certainly makes you self-reflect mm-hmm. as a coach and makes you think more about why am I doing what I'm doing? Yep. Um, that's what I've found going yep. through the different licenses that I've What's done. accountability? Right? It's, yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's like in any field, right? Yeah. You know, any field you should be licensed to do what, what you do. Right. Yep. And, um, it helps you to be able to learn and grow and, and understand why you're doing what you're doing. And so. And I think systems yeah. like that have also really helped this, the coaching community, like be more purposeful in their actions, you know, really be, you know, cognizant of like, you're, like you're saying your periodization, your, you know, all the concepts that you're trying to build, you're not, it's, and I never want anyone to think this, but it's like, it's not like you're just going out and kicking the ball around. They're really putting a lot of deep thought and process into this and helping coaches create structure and know how, and it's, I feel like sometimes it's not even about the X's and O's in these coach, in these coaching interactions and education. It's so much more now. And that's just the biggest thing to take home is that, you know, it's not just X's and O's anymore when it comes to being a coach. Um, it probably never really has been, but it's definitely much more in the forefront now. I feel like that it's, what are you doing all around that program and how are you developing your tactics and your players and how are you getting them to learn and, ap- and apply these concepts? And, you know, it's just, it's such a fluid game and there's so many different things you could do with it, but I feel like there's definitely that higher level of education that is ra- making, raising the bar all the time now on coaches to keep doing better and keep learning and stuff like that. So I think it's pretty cool. I'm really glad I personally don't have to be evaluated under these <laughs> sessions. I've heard about the intensities. But, you know, it's just pretty cool from the outside looking in, knowing that you guys really do put a lot of work in to develop yourselves as people and as coaches to try to deliver the best product for your players and your team. So outside of coaching, we were talking about this. So you're a scout for U.S. soccer. 
So what does that mean? Help us understand what is that you do? What are you like, are there certain age groups that you're looking at? What is, paint us a picture of what that position has been for you. Yeah, so I'm specifically a scout for youth national teams. So that's ages, essentially U14 to U20. Those are the age uh, groups that uh, U.S. soccer have youth national teams. And then, of course, you have a U23 team and then the full national team. Um, so I'm focused on the U14 to U20 age group. Um, yeah, so essentially, I mean, what it looks like is, um, you know, I'll either be asked by U.S. soccer to um, go and, like, get assigned a game to go and watch um, or get invited to go to an event to watch um, or a camp um, or even like I've, I've been involved with some of the youth national team camps, like U14 and U15 boys camps um, yeah. I've done. So um, that's essentially what it looks like. Um, it's, I guess, using my eye to be able to identify talent that could potentially be um, called into a youth national team camp. And then ultimately it's the youth national team coach that decides okay, this player, okay, this scout has said this about this player. I have to write a report and talk about the different actions of the players. Um, but I'm kind of like the informant, you know, I'm the informant. And then the people that make the decisions, you decide what you want to do from there, essentially. Interesting. So, I mean, from having been a former player, coach, soccer scout, and you've seen a lot of kids play soccer now at all these age levels. You know, now even starting at what your sons are six three, and two. Three, two and six. So, I mean, you, you're even scouting the younger ones too, but you're seeing oh, it all. So, when you are first watching a game, and you know, obviously, I know you're kind of given probably names that you're looking at or whatever. But what are some of the first major things that stick out to you when you are watching from the eyes of a scout that stick out to you when you're watching a, a kid or a team's game that, you know, start make note in your mind that you're going to start sharing with others? Sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the first things I try to do um, when I'm scouting a game is kind of look at the big picture of the game and kind of like work my way down. And I guess what I mean by that is like, look at the two teams um, and look at like what they are doing structurally um, each team, you know, more of like a shape or formation um, yeah. and just kind of like get, get a context of like what, what the game looks like and what each team looks like. And then from within that start looking at the individual players um, and how are they um, like, for example, like you said, if I get a list of three players, then I'm starting to hone in on those three players and what their actions look like within their teams. Um, so like, for example, if it's a, a center back position um, versus a center forward position, you know, I'm, I'm looking at like the specific actions of what the center back is doing and, and how well he's doing them. Mm. There's also a criteria of like, I'm not just objectively saying, Oh, I think he's doing well as a center back in this game based on my eye alone. No, it's, these are actually like, it's, it's, it's um, uh, criteria points that U.S. soccer has laid out and said, these are the points we would like to have a center back be able to do and be able to perform, like how to be able to perform them. Does he have the traits to do that? Um, so I'm kind of really honing in then on those specific players and then not like all along just saying, okay, I'm just looking at those players. Like I'm also looking at, okay, are there any players that stick out? You know, right. that could, because oftentimes you go to a, a game and, okay, I'm going to watch these two players, but wow, this player had a really good game. You know, what's, what's he all about? And then report potentially on that player yeah. um, as well. So that's, that's like the overall process of what it, what it kind of looks like. When you're looking at like individual players, so like you're really focusing in on someone, what are some of the things that you notice about them? Is it all just tactics? Or are you looking at like their communication or other things that they're doing on the field? Like what are you looking at from like their, their qualities that they bring to the field that you're seeing, you know, from your outside looking in? That's a really good question. And, you know, it's interesting right now 
during COVID because I've done some video scouting, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I've also, I've done one game in person with a mask on and distanced. Um, but it's just amazing because again, the difference between even video and live scouting of what you can see. Um, and especially on those things, the intangibles, you know, and the communication of, of what, like how players are responding to certain things that happen in the game. Yep sometimes you just can't see on the video, you know, sometimes you can like body language or nonverbals, but there's some things that you can't. And so I find that even interesting. What am I looking for? I mean, I, I think ultimately players that are coachable players that, you know, are, you know, they have, they have like the work ethic and they're not only like if they're an attacking player, they're only not just wanting to attack, but, when they lose the ball, what's the reaction? You mm-hmm. know, are, are they getting back? Are they, are they defending as, as much, you know, are they playing within, you know, their, with their team and how do they relate to their teammates? Um, those are all the things that they're not, we're not talking about talent level or yeah. um, tactically or how they're perceiving the game. Now it's more, what's their personality like? What's their work ethic like? Yeah. Um, are they coachable? Those things are so important. So, so important. Um, and that's no matter what pathway you take, right? Like if it ends up being for a youth national team player, or they end up going the college route or, you know, pro route, it's, it's that, that matters so much, so much, um, sometimes more than, than what, uh, the ability level is. Yeah. I think that's need to appreciate you know, is that you could have all the skill in the world, but it, it is about the other things too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that it's pretty interesting that a guy who doesn't even know you, who's been maybe given your name to go look at you can tell these things about you, even though all he could tell is that that's your number on the back of your Jersey, but he's watching and learning about you and just how you're presenting yourself and putting yourself out there and like how you're naturally reacting in your own environment tells that person a lot about you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting. The last game that I scouted uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, it's not like these players know that I'm there. You know, that's the other thing, you know, it's the the three players that I was going to scout and I got a list of, they don't know that there's a a U.S. scout in the stands, you know? So that's an interesting dynamic too, of like, you never know who's watching, right? You never know Mm -hmm. who's at the game. And like Santa Claus you never know if he's watching you or not yes yes (laughs) yes up on the roof yeah no that's Uh, true yes you never know like you could have caught a kid on a good day or a bad day but since they don't know you're there yes yes it but but good or bad day as in okay let's say their performance wasn't what I know that they could perform to or Mm -hmm. what I would say would be deemed like a youth national team you know, performance level, like that's one thing, but if it ends up being something more from a personality standpoint, or I see the coach trying to coach the player and all of a sudden he's like, or she's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be coached, you know, and, and is resistant to that. That's something that would be a red flag where I would say, Hmm, I got to put those in, put that in the notes because it's just that, that goes beyond just, the performance, right? It's much more now of like psychosocial and how they're responding to stress in the game. Um, You know, are are they, they're down to goals. How does that work versus, Oh, the game was pretty easy for them. And, you know, their team was winning three goals by three goals and it's not as stressful. You're not going to see how they respond necessarily. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's hugely important. And, And I think, you know, relating it to the college pathway too, for you know i know there's a lot of club and high school age um soccer players that will probably hopefully listen to this as well and hopefully provide some kind of value um and it's not just us just you know yeah (laughs) back and forth um that you know that in college is just huge you know that like work ethic grit grind that's what college is you know it's 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 gritty you know, Some it's of our gritty. best players were our harder workers. Boris, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's always great to have naturally talented people, but 
you know, during yeah. our years together on the team, some of our best players were the hard workers, you know, you can, yes. teach, you could teach skills, yeah. you know, but yep. the intangibles are harder to really build in someone. So if you really have that grit and that, you know, go get them attitude and, you know, that positive mm-hmm. leadership style, I, I think, you know, like you said, like you can see it, people can see it. And that goes a long mm-hmm. way when you're getting looked at. Absolutely. So you've obviously been watching the game from all these lenses, you know, do you think the game has evolved in these age groups over these years? Like what are some things that you've seen and what are some of the like current gaps that you're seeing in players now that you're going and looking at that? That might be a very long question. I know take it as yeah. you will, but you know, kind oh, of where's the game, where's the game gone and what are you seeing that, you know, are some, some areas that you think is as a general perspective where you think players could really work on right now? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I think about is just like the the physical side of the game and mm-hmm. the, um, yeah, I think physiologically and, you know, the, the, the speed, power, um, when, when I think of different athletes that, you know, youth national team players that, that, are, that are coming through the ranks, like, that I believe is, is really increased. You know, I, I think the game overall, like worldwide, like if, if you look at, you know, the game in the last five years versus 20 years ago, it's just the speed and, and the athleticism. Um, but then, and then with that, the, the way that players are taking care of their bodies in order to sustain like that, yeah. The speed, endurance, yeah. everything that you know a lot more about than I do mm-hmm. from the physiological side of things. Yeah, preparing your body. Preparing your body, that I think is really, really increased. Yeah, um, sports science has come a long way and yeah. strength and conditioning and stuff like that. That they, yeah. you know, for a while in soccer, it was like, no, no, no. You know, like yeah. ball work only. And now we're really starting to appreciate you know, building up those physical attributes, like you're saying, like when you're stronger, you're capable of being faster. You're able to last longer. You're able to sustain hits better, like all the above, you know, like basically building a bigger engine to allow you to do what you need to do really is going a long way now because it's much more in the forefront of the sports science and, you know, world. Yeah, Yeah. no, absolutely. And, and I'm definitely seeing that like in the games that I scout, um, You know, I think like at the younger levels, when you talk about like 14 and 15 year olds, you know, like their, their bodies are changing a lot. So you have like more of, you know, puberty and when they hit puberty, are they later bloomers um, physically? Those are things you have to take into account as well, because sometimes just looking at the physical side of things at early ages, players can change a lot yeah. um, from 14 to 20 for sure. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. But I am, you know, I think, and I think the game continues to grow. And I think, you know, for as much as like, I I think on, on the girls and on the women's side, you know, it's like kind of business as usual. They just keep going and moving on and, and, you know, winning world cups and, and, you know, and, and I'm hopeful that, you know, in the youth levels that there's a continued, there's a continued evolution and development of, of, um, the, the girls soccer, uh, overall, because I think we have to continue to do that. It seems to me like some of the other countries in the world are catching up with us yeah. um, in certain ways, you know, so not get complacent there um, and continue to, to help develop those young players. So we keep being on top because that's where we've been on top. Um, and I think, you know, on the boys and on the men's side, it's a completely different situation, you know, completely different. <laughs> Climbing up the hill. You know? Climbing up the hill, you know, the, the devastation of not qualifying for the World Cup and now trying to get back yeah. there. And um, I think there's a lot of positive things happening at the youth. There's a lot of positive things. Um, like there's, there's a lot of players, I should say, that are playing at high, high levels mm-hmm. um, that a lot of people don't know about. They don't, they don't even know that we have like, yeah. you know, 15, 20 plus young players 18 to 22 playing like for some of the top leagues in the world right now and hopefully hopefully that translates to you know what we're doing with the men's national team overall that's the hope um so yeah yeah interesting 
So kind of going back to like scout slash coach hat a little bit here, you know, and obviously you're looking at kids that are kind of in these like teen years. So uh, there's a lot of kids and sometimes they're aware of that they're, that people are showing interest in them or whatever, you know, but I would hope that, you know, a kid's aware at times that like they need to work on their game. What's your advice to someone like that to like, how do you approach your coach? What do you ask? Like, what is that conversation like as this kid's trying to learn about what they can do to improve your game? I'm sure you've had conversations like this with athletes of yours before. What's that conversation look like? Like, how does that kid listen to our conversation and take this information and initiate that with a coach? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question, Lauren. I mean, I think that number one, like have the conversation, you know, have the courage to have the conversation. Because I think, I know, you know, I've coached enough players, whether it be in the youth or in the college realm, that they're shy and they just feel like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to bother my coach or I don't want to, you know, that we have so many players on the team and, and all, all that, regardless, have the conversation because that's what the coach is there for. Um, so definitely want to empower, you know, the, the players to do that. Um, and then I think it's, you got to be open to then once you step up and have that conversation, you got to be open to, to hearing, you know, the, yeah. the positives, but the drawbacks and, and criticism, but constructive criticism, hopefully from your coach. Yeah. And then I think from the coach's side of things is very important to be specific with players on what they need to work on and how they can get better. Um, you know, so I, I, I think, you know, it's a two-way street, right, between mm-hmm. the player and the coach. And I think the player needs to initiate that first. Um, you know, listen, some coaches, I, I, I would empower coaches as well to, to you know, have plans to, to have, whether it's, a, you know, a, a personal performance plan for your players. You know, I think that's something that some of the top-level coaches around the country are now initiating themselves as yeah. well. But, but I think it's a two-way street for sure. And, there, and then the dialogue doesn't stop. You know, you have to then, once you have that initial conversation, um, continue to have conversations to check in. And, and, okay, let's say the coach, let's say there's a youth player that goes to the coach and says, hey, I really want to know what you think and how I can improve. And, for example, the coach says, well, one of the things I really want you to work on is, you know, you're taking, you're taking all of our corner kicks. And, you know, I, I, I see that, you know, one out of every five is going where it needs to go or two out of every five. Yeah. I really want you to spend time before practice or after practice taking 25 corner kicks, you know, whatever, you know, is appropriate mm-hmm. for, for the player. Um, and then let's see, does the player do it? You know, then it's up to the player to go and, and, take, and take the time and, and really be able to make the time to do it before practice, after practice, um, and then check in, you know, with the coach and, and, and see if there's improvement over time. So it has to be like measurable, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I think the main thing is just the consistent dialogue back and forth and being open to, you know, criticism because yeah. that can be hard. It can be hard. Well, and I think that's good advice to hear is that just initiate the conversation. Like sometimes especially probably younger kids put that coach up on that pedestal of like, Oh, he's in charge. Like, I don't want him to get upset at me or, you know, I was, you know, all this stuff that, you know, I think it's good for them to hear from you who you are a coach to say, like, I would welcome a player to say, Hey coach, you know, I feel like there's some things I need to work on, you know, and engage that conversation and give them the confidence to go do that. Like you said, it's step one, you got to take that step. And so, you know, maybe if there's one thing that any kid that's looking to improve their game or knows they need to do something, like if at least you could take from this conversation, have the strength to just go ask your coach, talk to them, yeah. you know, that's step one. And from there, then you got to act on your words, you yeah, know, absolutely. and that alone. And then I think, and you could probably speak to this. I think that also shows coaches that speaks volumes to a coach. If there's a child that, or a child kid athlete, sorry, (laughs) that comes up to you and says, Hey coach, you know, I know I'm really struggling with X or I know I need to work on my game. What do you suggest that I would assume that speaks volumes to you as a coach? It does. It shows that they care, you know, and they want to go and beyond, go above and beyond to improve their, their game. Um, 
So it, it, it does. And, you know, it, again, it shows that vulnerability too. You know, I can think back on, you know, some coaches I had growing up, I, I, I didn't want to do that, you know, and, and I think that's the part of, from the coaching side of things, you know, creating that environment where, you know, that you have that dialogue and it's, it's, that dialogue is necessary, you know, and, and needed and, and welcomed yeah. to grow as well is, is really important, but yeah, take that first step and, and then follow through with it, you know, and keep checking in, um, you know, to see how it's going. It, yeah. it has to be a regular thing and it has to be, and if you really want to improve over time, it has to be a continuous regular thing and where you can measure it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So hot topic. Uh oh. <laughs> <Here we go. laughs> um, so, you know, this has been kind of a bit, this is a little bit of a two part question. Um, but obviously a hot topic in recent years talking about single sport versus multi-sport athlete, you know, from your perspective, do you think kids should only play soccer year round? Are there benefits or should they be playing other sports too? You know, is there a benefit to being that multi-sport athlete? And I I promise I'm not holding you to this answer forever and ever (laughs) and ever, but I know it's a hot topic, but I'm just curious, you know, you've had a lot of points of perspective now in your career. What's some of your takes on that situation? Yeah, I I think at younger ages, um, I'm a big advocate for multi-sports and not just specializing um, in soccer or whether it's another sport. Um, You know, at what age do you start specializing and you start playing that sport more and more and only that sport? Um, You know, I I don't have the answers to that, you know, and and what I do think is um, you have to look and say like, what are my goals and objectives too? You know, like, what I mean by that is, is I look at like our country right now and like, if you're playing soccer, male, female growing up, like maybe around 5% of the players like playing, you could say have like the ability to like the ability and the skill set and the talent level to like play professionally and like maybe one day play in a world cup or one day, you know, play in, NWSL or MLS or overseas. And I think that for that, let's say 5%, you know, maybe it does make sense at 14, 15, 16 to start specializing more. Okay. I wouldn't even say totally go and just play soccer at that age in my personal opinion. Um, But I, I think at the younger ages, there's a lot of value in that um, in, in playing multiple sports. And then I think the other thing is, is like, you know, don't get caught up in like the, okay, if I want, my goal is to play division one soccer. All right. That means at 10 years old, I need to just play for my club and I, I'm not going to play baseball or volleyball or basketball or anything else. I just have to focus on this. If I want to play in division one and I want to get a scholarship. No, that's not true. You know, I, I, I can, look at and I can look at current examples of you know student athletes that I've recruited and and scouted and and coached that it's just not the case you know they played basketball all the way through high school you know and and they're playing division one uh soccer um so it's it's not like a one-size-fits-all and that that's I know very it can be very confusing to parents and, and players growing up right now. It's like, this is what we have to do. No, you don't. Yeah. I think they, yeah. In my opinion. It's like, you're almost, it's like that fear of missing out. Well, if my son doesn't play indoor and maybe he got that yeah. one chance and you know, cause he was out playing basketball instead, would he lose out? And I really think that what people need to realize is that whether you're being scouted for, you know, us soccer, or you're being scouted for college soccer, like they're not just looking at, one game at one instance they're not just like oftentimes they're looking at you over the course of a time frame a career like college they're looking at you like what were you doing your freshman year your sophomore year like it's this big picture of like your body of work and those few small months that you might be doing something else are not gonna be that make or break moment for you it would be highly unlikely I feel like and you and you and I were even just talking about from like a physical quality standpoint like 
one of our best center backs that we ever had at Marquette, like you said, like he played basketball all the way through high school. He was such a dominant force in the air, like going up for headers as a center back and fending people off and using his body. And I mean, sometimes we would joke like watching corners. It was like almost like watching a pick and roll with him. Like, you know, he just knew how to manage people physically. And you could tell that like, yes, do you learn that in soccer? Of course, but you could just see his other skill sets from other sports playing in and just making him that much better of a player, you know? And so don't discount like what those other sports bring in to what you want to be your powerhouse sport, you know? And I feel like also, and you could probably test this, not to mention just the mental ability to check out a little bit. Like, you know, soccer is not your job yet. You are not a professional athlete yet. If you're going 24 seven on something, I feel like the chance of burning out is so much higher, you know, to have that extra sport where it's like, yeah, I mean, basketball, like I'm competitive, but it's kind of like your second sport or whatever. You have the ability to kind of check out and check back in. There's got to be value to that too. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I was really, when I was thinking about like this whole, the advice of you have to take each person and each soccer player differently, like, and take it case by case, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, how, how much, how much does that player love playing? How much, how much does that player love going to practice every day? You know, let's say there are players that are driving an hour and a half to practice, you know, one way. I mean, how much, how much do you love it? And is that worth it? Um, that, that you can't say for one player, it's the same for the next, you yeah. know, it's, it's just what, what you do. So I, but I, I do agree, you know, I mean, I think the statistic is still in our country that the largest amount of soccer players that, that quit playing, what, what age is it? It's like 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. We have a wow. huge population now playing in, and it's, it, to me, it's like, well, why is that you ask? Right. But for me also, it's at 12 and 13 years old, just because you're not going to be maybe a division one athlete or pro soccer player, does that mean you have to like, just stop playing? And, and, and why, why is that? You know, maybe it's because of the specialization and and those things. Um, But, but I think regardless, I think whatever, what I would want people to get out of this is, is, what's your end goal? Like, what's your objective, like long-term, you know? And I mean, if it's to play division one, I believe you can keep, you can keep playing different sports and all that. I I needed that, Lauren. I needed the, I loved soccer, but I also love basketball. I also loved playing multiple tennis, different things. And so, you know, I think that helped me to get refreshed when it came back to soccer. You know, I got, I got back to it. I was like, I haven't played in a little while. Like, I, I enjoyed it more. I'm different from the next athlete who just loved playing soccer, 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 played Absolutely. 10 months out of the year and want more of it, you know. Oh, yeah. once the, We had our guys that were ends. down at the field for hours on end, and, you know, everyone's yeah. got their different need. Yes. But I think it's just fair to say that, like, find your balance. Don't feel like you have to do it but find your balance of what's best for you physically, mentally, time-wise. Nevertheless, like what's the balance for you in school while doing those things too? And just find the balance that's right for you and your needs. But I think the take home from this is, do you have to exclusively do it? And, you know, if you didn't, you'd miss out. I think the answer is no. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there over the course of time to be seen, get the exposure that you need and still do all the things that you love. Um, whether that's one sport or many, you know, it's there. Is that a fair statement? No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And it's important because I know that it's, it's a, it's a growing trend right now. So it's important that, that both players, but parents also hear it as well as they're making decisions. No, I hear it. It's all over the place. So we're going to move on to the lightning round. These are questions that I know that Steve doesn't. Oh. <laughs> There's not too much pressure, I promise. A little bit of something right, fun just to get that. to know you. All right. So first question. Favorite stadium or field that you've ever played in or attended a game at and why? 
I would have to say the Bernabeu in Madrid, Spain. Oh. Yes, Real Madrid Stadium. Um, I actually, Ashley and I went to a game there when she was studying in Spain for a semester. I went to go visit her and we went to, uh, to a game there. And yeah, I mean, just, I think just getting a glimpse of like the Spanish lifestyle, but then the soccer culture and like all of that you see on TV and you hear about, but when you experience it, it's like, well, this is, this is definitely like in the culture here. Like, yeah, this is what it means to be like a soccer, a soccer culture. So that was really cool to see. And then like the game that I watched, I mean, at the time it was like what they, they called the Galacticos. I mean, it's like, it was like a dream team. They didn't really win anything, but it was like Ronaldo, like old Ronaldo, Carlos Zidane, Beckham, um i mean i could name like five other players i mean like top top players that like they collected at the time so that was really cool to be able to see those guys all in one field at one time uh, while they were all still playing so it was it was memorable yeah that's amazing yeah european soccer is a different world i remember um i went to I had a friend that was a physio for Birmingham and I saw them yeah. play. I can't remember who it was. It's too long now, but, um, and it wasn't boxing day, but it was only a few days before Christmas. So it gets really electric there and yeah. the intensity of those games in Europe. It's just so amazing. Like I hate to say it, but it makes NFL games look tame sometimes with the intensity of the fans and the excitement. And it's just so electric. It's just it's like you feel like you entered an alternate universe for 90 plus minutes. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. pretty amazing. Um, okay, so favorite professional soccer team internationally and domestically? Ooh. Good question. So let's go domestic here first. Um, I'm biased to the Chicago Fire. Okay. Um, so I, I guess I would probably have to say them for MLS. Um, although I do like to follow like all these guys, you know, depending on where they go, like Axel just got traded DC United, you know, and, uh, of course, Charlie and following him of where he's been and, and, um, other players that I've coached along the way, it's, it's, I, I'm kind of like biased to like watching those teams, um, as they, as they move around. Cause it's just that, that connection, you know, that interest. Um, I, I am a Bayern fan. Ah. I'm a Bayern fan. A little bit of a closet Bayern fan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but but I, 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 that I would say, yeah, that's that's my uh, my European team. So we'll, we'll see. They just had a really really good game and a good result against Barcelona. They kind of embarrassed them eight to two. Oof. If you saw this, yeah. which doesn't happen often when Messi's on the field. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. I, we, we could settle on that. I, I'll let you be a closet. Uh, okay. Okay. So stepping outside, of, stepping outside of soccer, favorite Wisconsin sports team? Because mm. you better not Milwaukee be. Bucks. Oh, a Milwaukee box. Bucks. Yeah. Milwaukee I mean, Bucks. they're a powerhouse right now. Yes. Yes. Can't beat it. I mean, they're, they're going solid. It's pretty amazing to watch. And from the years that like when we were in high school, and they were terrible. Yes. <laughs> they had a decent run a little bit in the late 90s, but then struggled mm-hmm. again, and now they're back. So it's nice to have a more you know, dominant team you know, downtown again. I mean, um, obviously, Mark Mark basketball, we've both experienced. So that's that, yeah. that would be another one too, right? Yeah, so. fair. I'll give that one to you. Yeah, yeah it's nice yeah. to see uh, Wojo continue to do well and keep pushing us forward. So yeah. – what a lot of people don't know about you is you're a big reader, personal development, leadership. I watch these stacks of books pile on your and Marcelo's desks all the time. And you guys have been in these deep conversations about all this stuff. Uh, the whole different layer that I don't even know I could compete with. Um, what are like one or two of like your favorite, whether it's like coaching or leadership books, like some that have really you know, left a mark on you, probably ones that you've gone back to again um, mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. would share with someone. Yeah. Well, I've been going audio books a lot too. So yeah. the stacks of books I, I have like, you know, You're in my basement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. But now they're like stacking up on my phone and in the audible account. 
Um, you know, but I, I would say there's, there's two books that, that jump out. Um, I have too many that I, that I'm thinking of overall, but I would say, um, from like a leadership standpoint and like an organizational leadership standpoint, the book good to great is one that I, when I read it, um, just kind of light, a light bulb went off for me personally, um, that I, I would, it just, it, it, there's a lot in it that I think like, you know, sometimes when you think about leaders and you think about like you have, at least I have like a perception of what a leader should look like and, Mm -hmm. and the persona and there has to be a larger than life personality, you know, like to be a leader, that's the charisma, you know? Yeah. And that book shifted my mindset when it came to leadership that it can look different. It -hmm. can look different. It can still be, as effective and in some cases more effective um, leaders that are a little bit quieter or have a little bit more of an even keel or not as charismatic, um, but they're good listeners and they um, have different qualities than maybe what the stereotypical, um, you know, leader or guy person, whether female, male in command, you know, like, so it, that, that was really powerful for me when I read, good to great. So that would be one. And then, you know, from a, from an athlete standpoint, I guess a coaching standpoint to mindset is a great book by Carol Dweck, who's a psychologist out in the California area. Uh, I want to say Berkeley. Um, she's a professor there and, and um, it's, it's a great one. It's, it's where this growth mindset has come from. I mean, the term is being overused, I think now, but it, it's, it's, um, it, it's a book that, again, is very powerful, not only in coaching or athletics, but I think across everyone's life, yeah. uh, whether you're a parent or a school teacher or every hat we're wearing right now, Lauren, you know, uh, yeah. like in, in this COVID period, you know, of just like constantly being a learner and trying to, you know, not take not take, you know, I think from a gross mindset standpoint, it's, it's not seeing yourself because you fail like you're a failure, you know, it's maybe it's part of the process. Maybe it's okay. I, I could have done better in this situation, but I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow from it. Yeah. Um, I'm oversimplifying, but those two books, mindset, good to great. I'm, I'm, I will throw in one more coach and author and that's Tony Dungy who mm-hmm. has wrote a series of books. Yeah. Um, that I, I really, really have enjoyed. And, and again, I think it's just about like in your coaching or leadership styles, it's finding people that you can relate to, you know, mm-hmm. more so than, you know, like as you learn your style and, and Tony Dungy is a, a, a coach that is achieved at the highest levels yeah. in the NFL, you know, not even soccer related, but I can relate to him. I don't know, from a personality standpoint, yeah. from more of a, you know, there's one called quiet strength. Um, that I highly recommend. So th- th- that would be one um, for coaches or I guess even athletes to, Absolutely. to look at too. Yeah. No, I totally agree. You can learn from any sport and any, you know, you can learn from anything. This is not exclusive to soccer by any means. Yeah. You know? And I think sometimes honestly gaining perspectives from outside of your own circle is a good thing too. Mm-hmm. It helps you gain perspective. Okay. Last question. Drum roll. Um, we know coaches pull long hours, right? <laughs> What is your go-to caffeinated beverage to keep you going? I would say definitely coffee. <laughs> definitely coffee. Um, You've been I'm known to co- walk around campus with a cup or two in hand on a regular. I have, yeah, I know, I know. And I remember you would you would be very much on the tea train. You would always have your, your tea. Yeah. You'd say, well, the, the tea, I remember you saying, well, tea, it, it – it, it brings you up from a caffeine standpoint and then kind of just gradually brings you down. Yeah. Caffeine, it's like, up and then way, you know. Well, I have a toddler now, so I'm a coffee person. <laughs> oh, yeah, see, right, yeah. We, we've, as parents of toddlers, that's, we haven't out. But um, I would say I'm in a cold brew kick right now. Oh. Okay, so cold brew, uh, I'm enjoying. So the iced coffee, uh, especially in the summer, I'm, uh, I'm biased too, so. You have a favorite you, brand? Are you the Altera? Are you the Starbucks? Are you, do you not discriminate and you just, whatever is there? 
I do not discriminate. I will put a plug in for um, there's a there's a coffee called coffee shop called Valentine Coffee. Oh yes, that's not too far from our house that um, we like and and uh, I think during COVID, you know, you're trying to support some of the local, you know, smaller uh, smaller coffee shops and restaurants and all that. So we started going there. We really like their coffee, so we we get the cold brew from there. I so, like it. I like it. Yeah. Supporting the local uh, coffee shops. Yeah, there's plenty of Milwaukee, as you know. So yes, yes. To choose from, and I frequent them often. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right. Well, awesome, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, for those of you who are interested, you can always follow Steve on Twitter. I think it's kind of your main platform. Is a good. Is that safe to say? And he safe is. To say. Yep, he is at Bodie, so B-O-D-E underscore Steve, S-T-E-V-E. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he shares all sorts of stuff, uh, fun pictures of kids to soccer-related stuff to Marquette stuff, so you get a whole wide range there. So thanks to our listeners for joining us today on the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.